You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. This is a day that God has been building up towards for weeks, months, years, maybe since our inception. Today is a very important day for our church. God has something to say to us. And if you're here, you're not here by coincidence. You think you chose to come today, and you did, but it's because God drew you to this place, and he has something to say to you. And actually today, you can say you must, or you could say you're going to have a great opportunity to make a very important decision in your life. Today's text is extremely lengthy, verses 1 through 60, Acts chapter 7. But don't panic. We're only going to concern ourselves with the closing nine or ten verses of that passage, verses 51 to 60, around there. And I'll explain why we're going to do that in a moment. But first, a brief review. We began, well, we're in a series in Acts, and we began last week the story of Stephen. We called it an introduction because the story is lengthy, 60 verses, plus what we covered last week. You know, things were again going good in the church. Folks were getting saved. Supernatural and mighty acts of God were occurring. And Stephen was one of the guys God was using to do these great supernatural mighty acts. Things were going good. But then, as we learned last week, Stephen was arrested And he was brought before the council. Two significant observations we made from Stephen's experience when he was before the council. Number one, two things we could take as encouragement for us today. Number one, God gave Stephen greater wisdom than his accusers. Being in a position of being accused is not all that great, but if you have to be in a position where you're being accused... It's great that God has given you greater wisdom than your accusers. They could not stand against him. They could not refute him. They were so frustrated. Everything they brought up, God gave Stephen wisdom. They couldn't stand against him. That's a promise to you and and myself as well, you and I. Also, God's presence was so with Stephen at that time during this ordeal, that his face literally glowed with the glory of God. That they could hardly look at him. you think that would get their attention, right? If I saw your face starting to glow, I-, I think I'd be paying attention to what you might have to say. This week we're going to continue the story of Stephen. And this is amazing. 
despite the tremendous wisdom of Stephen and the fact that they couldn't refute him, they couldn't prove him wrong, regardless of the fact that his face was glowing with the glory of God and they could hardly look at him, they continued their accusations. They continued their interrogation. They continued their harassment of Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verse 1. Stephen is addressing this council. The high priest asked Stephen, despite what he had already said and they couldn't refute it, despite, regardless that his face was glowing with the glory of God, the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? And this was Stephen's reply, dot, dot, dot. In response to the high priest's question, Stephen addresses the council. The question was asked, have you spoken against the temple? Have you spoken against the law of Moses? And Stephen answers, of course not. He's a Jew in high standing. He's not speaking against the temple. He's not speaking against Moses or the law of God. And so for the next 49 verses, Stephen rehearses and recites for the council something they should already have known the history of Israel and God's dealing with the nation, starting with Abraham back in Genesis, all the way through the prophets, all the way to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. He affirms the temple. He affirms the law. He affirms Moses as all being from God. So we're not going to concern ourselves with those 49 verses of his defense. Not because it isn't important. It is very important. And if you have the time, read those verses on your own. But because the focus and the application for us today does not lie in those verses, we're going to just close out the story. That's, I believe, where God wants us to focus today, the last several verses. And so we're going to pick the story up there. Dawn, if you'll come and read. Congregation, if you'll stand. If you've been with us any amount of time, you know the drill. We stand to honor God's word. While our, sister, while our sister reads to us. And Dawn will be reading verses 51 through 60 of Acts chapter 7. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. 
And with that, he died. Thanks, Dawn. You may be seated. So you see what's on the screen. Stephen addressed the council, you stubborn people, you're heathen. You're deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law. Yikes. Ouch. Just like Peter and the other disciples, Stephen did not mince any words. He wasn't doing himself any favors with the council in the way he was responding. He spoke the truth. He cut right to the chase. You notice that, right? Every apostle that's come before the council has re responded the same way. Nobody backed down. Nobody watered down the truth. Nobody flinched. A word of application for us in these days, very important. We learned during the Weapons of Our Warfare series how powerful the spoken word is. There's power of life and death in the tongue, Scripture says. To speak, to declare the word of the Lord that he gives us boldly is extremely important. We learned how important it can be in bringing about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. The spoken word, speaking out. So here's an exhortation from us that I feel God wants us to know today and it's going to become very important in the days ahead. In these days ahead, when God gives you a word to speak, when God gives us a word to speak, we need to speak it. That's going to become very important. When he gives us something to say, we better say it. The day of the silent church is over. The day of the intimidated believer is is over in God's mind, in his eyes. This is something that every one of us should be expecting and anticipating that God is going to do. When you go to work, be expecting and anticipating God is going to give you words to speak to people. When you're going about your business, your leisure, your recreation, when we're shooting pool down at leisures, down at leisure, Expect God's going to give you words to say to people that he's going to bring into your path. Ray Kaufman was down shooting pool with us a couple of weeks. And he talked to the guy next to us and told him all about who we were and Jesus. And the guy's supposed to be coming to church one of these Sundays. That's right. 
Many of us already know by experience how, time, how a timely word spoken by a brother or a sister has had a profound effect on our life. Or maybe we're the one who spoke the word and it profoundly infect, uh, impacted someone else. Either way, whether you're receiving the word or whether you're speaking the word, be expecting God to start speaking through us, to us, to others. It's going to be something he's doing in these days ahead. God is going to be giving us words to speak out, and it's going to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. And the opposite of that is if we remain silent, there's no guarantee his will will be done. Back to the text. An interesting note. Suddenly, for a brief moment, this trial, Stephen on trial by the council, took a turn. And now it's as if the council is on trial. And Stephen is the prosecutor. And they have to respond to him of all these accusations. And of course, that was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, not by Stephen. Now listen. It was an attempt by the Holy Spirit through Stephen to bring about conviction, to bring about repentance, to bring about salvation for the priest on the council. God is all about justice and judgment, and he judges. But primarily, and the ideal, is he's a redemptive God. He's always about redemption. And even when he is accusing and even when he's judging, he's trying to get people to see. He's trying to bring loving conviction and draw them to himself. Peter said something just about like this to the crowd in Acts chapter 2. And 3,000 of them repented of their sins. And were saved and became the church. God, in his love and mercy, they're about to kill Stephen. Literally. And God, in his love and his mercy and his goodness and his redemption, is giving them a chance to repent through Stephen. God is always, first and foremost, a redemptive God, so rich in mercy. In this case, however, there's not going to be the same response there was in Acts chapter 2. And as so often is, especially when you're dealing with earthly authorities who are in opposition to God. When you're dealing with earthly authorities who are standing in opposition to God, the council regained the upper hand in a very raw display of brutal power. The Jewish leaders were infuriated. They were not repentant. They were not remorseful. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations. They shook their fists at him in rage. Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. Then they rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. This, unfortunately, was the reaction and the response of the council to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Instead of allowing themselves to be drawn to this loving, good God, they responded in this way. And we said it last week. Unfortunately, good place to listen. As much as we wish it was otherwise, as much as we're going to wish it was otherwise in these days ahead, spirit-filled witness, a spirit-filled life can stir up opposition and can sometimes 
maybe oftentimes, harden hearts rather than soften them. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you as though something strange were happening. Oh, I must not be filled with the Spirit. Oh, I must have said the wrong thing. No, the opposite could actually be true. You were filled with the Spirit and you said the right thing. Infuriated means overtaken with fury and rage, completely controlled by anger, unable to think or act rationally. Some of your versions may say they gnashed their teeth. It's because the phrase used, the Greek phrase used, means to grit or grind your teeth in strong emotion, or could mean to clench one's fist. So both are good translations whichever you may be reading. It gives a good picture of what was happening to the council. Why did they put their hands over their ears? They didn't want to hear the Holy Spirit's conviction. They didn't want to yield. In their eyes, it would cost them too much of this earthly life. Most of them were Sadducees who said there's no resurrection. And if Stephen's correct, they're wrong. And all their followers were know they're wrong. There is a resurrection, and Jesus is the proof. So they couldn't, they couldn't listen to this. There was too much political power to lose. Debating if I should say this illustration. But there's a bill being debated in Congress that could, could greatly affect the church and believers and the way society has lived for centuries. And one man defending the traditional values of society, one representative from Florida was standing up and saying, he was quoting from scripture. He was defending marriage as between a man and a woman. Genesis, God made a male and female and for this reason they'll marry. And another congressman stood up and rudely interrupted him and said, your God and your religious views have no place and are of no concern to this Congress. The Jewish leaders were infuriated and they rushed at Stephen, shouting because they didn't want to hear truth. They became a loud, angry, incensed mob. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. And I guess by now you know this is not going to end well. He fell to his knees, and he died. I wish this story ended otherwise, don't you? I wish the council repented and came to Christ. Stephen died from the stoning. Yep, he died. He's known as the first Christian martyr. And a martyr is simply one who dies as a result of being a witness to their beliefs. He died for Christ. He literally died for Christ. He didn't have to die. He could have recanted. He could have gotten out of town and bought a ranch somewhere. He died for Christ willingly he died for Christ. We're going to mention that again in closing, but we need to know Satan plays for keeps. 
God has been building us, preparing us, equipping us, bringing us to this point today. For weeks, months, years, he wants us to know Satan plays for keeps. This ain't no game. This ain't no game. This is no game that we're in. We said last week, if it's not for the mercy and grace of God, if you are a believer, it's by God's mercy and grace that you're sitting here, that you're healthy, because Satan would love to take you out. He would if he could. God's not allowing him to. Because you have a purpose. Wouldn't it be a shame for God to go all that, to all that trouble to protect you and make sure you're doing good and you're blessed and you don't fulfill his purpose for your life? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and probably talk about that. There's something else that's important because it's relevant. Thus far in history, Satan has not really been successful in bringing this level of persecution upon the church in our country. It's foreign to us. It's not foreign to many believers around the world. But it's foreign to us. Satan has never really been able to bring this level of persecution to our country or really to most Western cultures, for that matter. However, as I stand here, I'm telling you, it may change. Think about that. This may change in the days ahead. For the most part, the authorities and the authoritative bodies in the United States are no longer sympathetic to the Christian cause. They're no longer sympathetic to the church. There are many forces and authority that would do away the church if they could have their way. The verdict is not yet in how far this present evil will be allowed to go in the days ahead. For this reason, and I'm serious, I'm not joking. For this reason, I can no longer joke with the wagging finger about persecution. God is making me acutely aware of the concept the reality and the potential of persecution in our country, in our lives. Not that I'm experiencing it at this point. Pastors are being arrested in Canada and in England, which is also unheard of. Not too much in the United States yet. But God is making me acutely aware of this concept and this reality and this potential for persecution, the possibilities of what lie ahead. Things that we thought would never be happening in this country have happened. And so things that we may be thinking never will happen may very well happen. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Now, a lot of how far evil is allowed to go, to what level we'll, we'll, we will actually experience this, it may actually depend on us. It may actually depend on how the church responds to the evils in our country. Will we continue with our heads in the sand as an ostrich? Or, we will allow, or will we allow God to wake us up and join the battle and commit ourselves? And God's going to give us a chance to do that at the end of this message. 
But I will warn you up front, don't make that commitment unless you're serious about it. Now, don't worry that, oh, if I make that commitment and I can't uphold it. If you honestly, sincerely make the commitment, God will give grace to uphold it. That's not the issue. The question is, are you serious enough about being a Christian and your walk with him to make the commitment? If not, please don't come forward. That's a very dangerous place to be. It's better not to vow than to vow and not fulfill it. Or at least not intend to fulfill it. The day of the silent church, from God's perspective, is over. The day of the intimidated believer is over. He's looking for a church, the ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, the true church. He's looking for that rising, rising remnant that is willing to stand up and march forward with him, come what may. We used to be able to say that and think, well, nothing really bad's going to come. And that is no guarantee anymore. It's easy to make the commitment years ago. That's why I think God prepared and equipped us and warned us and brought us up to this point, the story of Stephen and how Stephen's story ends before he asks us to make the commitment. Far better to make the commitment knowing how serious it could end, and it doesn't end like that, than to make the commitment thinking this is going to be a cakewalk and then face that. Are you following me? Are you with me? So far, not a lot of upbeat stuff in this message. But there is something else going on here in this passage, as there always is with God. There's some verses that I intentionally saved for now. There's some things that we really want to see. This is in the midst of this ordeal. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven. And he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, like Joseph telling his brothers and his parents the dream, look, you're just what they need to hear, right? In the state of mind they're in, look, I see the heavens open, and I see the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. What? You see Jesus? He didn't, he's not alive. He never resurrected. There's no way they can accept this from him. But he said what God wanted him to say. He had to know what kind of a response a statement like that would bring. So something else is going on here during this ordeal. There was a glorious display of the faithfulness of God to his own. He did not abandon Stephen. The tougher it got, the more God poured out his grace on Stephen. And that's what we can expect. Don't worry right now if you'll be able to handle that. I'm worried if I could handle that. But what I know is there's grace for that moment, and when I need to handle that, I'll have the grace to handle that. I can't feel that grace right now. I'm not in that situation. I don't need that grace right now. I don't need the grace to die for Christ right now. I may someday. And when I do, I'll have that grace. Do you believe that? A glorious display of God's faithfulness to his people at all times. To Stephen, in the midst of this extreme adversity, 
Stephen, full of the Spirit, saw into the spiritual realm. He saw the risen Christ. He saw Jesus. He was so caught up with the awe and the reality of Jesus. Now listen to this, because I believe it's true. Stephen hardly seemed to notice their response. He's saying, what are you talking about? Boulders are flying at him. He hardly seems to even notice. That's the grace of God that's available. My guess is he didn't, in that situation, say, oh my gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. I think I'm going to die for that. It wasn't even a thought in his mind. He was so focused on seeing this heavenly vision and seeing Christ. It's like he didn't realize what was even going on. He hardly cared in a good way. The kingdom of heaven, the spiritual realm, Jesus himself was more real to Stephen at this moment than his earthly reality. He was being executed. It shows in his response to their actions that he had become so fully like Christ. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed. You say, I would never do that. In the moment, you will have the grace to do this. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. With that, he died. While he is being stoned, don't miss this. Don't take it, like, just ink on the page. Think it through. Stephen is right now being stoned when he prays that. Rocks and boulders are hitting him. He's cut and he's bleeding. He's losing his strength. He's bleeding out. He's falling to the ground. That's, that's the reality of what's going on. And this is what he prays. It seems he hardly noticed. We say, no way, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. No way I could have that attitude. Grace for the moment. According to the promises of Jesus, believers will be given all that we need for the moment in the moment. Jesus actually warned us because he knows how we are. Don't worry about that now. Don't worry in advance how you're going to respond because there'll be grace to respond when you need grace to respond. Stephen is proof of that. He was so full of the Spirit, so full of grace, so much like Jesus in this moment. If you remember on Calvary at the crucifixion, Jesus commended his Spirit to the Father just before he died. Stephen now commended his Spirit to Jesus just before he died. Jesus prayed and asked the Father to forgive those who crucified him. Forgive them their sin. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen just prayed and asked Jesus, forgive them their sin. They don't know what they're doing. And he's right. Because some of them are going to get saved. One in particular, you may have noticed in the last verse that Dawn read, they were laying, as they were stoning him, they were laying their coats at the feet of a young roar named Saul, who became who? You think this didn't have an effect on Paul watching Stephen die like this? He goes on to persecute and be ruthless, but later on he writes about this event because it was fresh in his mind. Stephen had become more like Jesus than he knew. Many of us are saying we want to be like Jesus, and we do. But I don't think maybe we realize what it might take to get us there. Let's move on to a conclusion. So, Stephen fell to his knees and died. 
Would you say this story has a good or a bad ending? How many say this story has a, has a bad ending? Show of hands, be honest. You're afraid to raise your hands, aren't you? How many say this story had a good ending? Raise your hands and be honest. See, how we answer depends on our outlook towards this earthly life. How we answer that question depends on our reasoning, our motivation for living. If you're living for this earthly life, this, this story had a terrible ending. If you're living for Christ, this story had a great ending. Check out this slide. For to me, living means living for Christ. Dying is even better. You may have heard a more succinct version of it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To die is gain. If we believe this word is true, to live is Christ, to die is gain, then this story has a great ending for Stephen. He fully lived Philippians 1.21. For him, to live meant serving Christ. And to die was gain. No mourning, no loss of this earthly life. What's this earthly life hold for us anyhow? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world in this earthly life and lose his soul? For Stephen, dying for Christ was gain. So now it gets very important for us. See, you cannot die that wholeheartedly for Christ as Stephen did unless you are first living that wholeheartedly for Christ as Stephen did. You can't just be living a lazy, complacent, indifferent Christian life, come up against something like that and die gloriously like Stephen did. Are you with me and do you get this? This is important for the challenge God's going to give us in a moment. You cannot die that wholeheartedly for Christ if you're not first living that wholeheartedly for Christ. And that brings us to the main thing that I believe God intended for us today, and it's an order call. It's a good old-fashioned order call. Are you willing to live that wholeheartedly for Christ? I said, God has been preparing us. He's been preparing us. He's been warning us. He's about to move mightily. There's things that we need to take care of. There's things that we need to do. And now he's brought it. There's things we need to know. And now he's brought us up to this point. And this is decision day for us. Every one of us as an individual. This is a decision day for us. The moment has come to decide before we step over that line into this mighty move of God. God has been giving us fair warning. He has been making us aware of how serious it may get and what's expected of us. Don't take your sin lightly. You can't take your sin lightly anymore. We can't take our sin lightly anymore. You know, maybe it will get as bad as this. Maybe it won't get as bad as this. Stephen, I'm referring to. But regardless of how bad it's going to get, 
or not get. The moment to come has the moment to, to decide has come. No coincidence, no happenstance. God brought us to this moment, this day. As we move into this mighty move of God on the earth, similar to Acts, possibly even beyond Acts, will we commit? This is the question we're asking ourselves. Will we commit to living wholeheartedly for Christ in these days ahead? If so, when I say three, step out of your pew and come running up front. Come as families, come as couples, come as individuals. But when I say three, if you're willing to make this commitment, step out and come running forward. One, two, three. Come and stand as couples, come and stand as families, come and stand as individuals. Bring your children if they're willing. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.